people that are buying houses don't know what they want. That's why they wanted you. They wanted you to help them figure out what would their house sell for, how to sell it for more, or what house they should be looking at that would work for them. And when we're in reactionary mode, it gives them a sense of fear. They're thinking like, I don't know if I want to move forward with this because I don't know how it's going to end up. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey guys, this is Aaron Muchastegui for a quick commercial break. And here is a paid advertisement from a guy whose voice you might recognize. Do you want to invest in real estate without all the work? I mean, like incredible returns, massive tax savings, one of the best inflation hedges of all time without all those headaches that come with it. My name is Brandon Turner, a best-selling real estate author with over a million copies of my book sold. And this here is an ad. That's right, a crummy commercial, but I'm actually not selling anything. I'm offering something. You see, I run a real estate investment company called Open Door Capital, where we acquire what's called value-add real estate nationwide to earn great returns for passive investors just like you. We've acquired hundreds of millions of dollars in mobile home parks and apartments, and we recently sold our first fund where we earned our investors over a 35% internal rate of return. And while our past performance is obviously no guarantee of future results, we do believe our track record speaks for itself. Best of all, we have an amazing deal right around the corner right now. So be sure to sign up for our email list at investwithodc.com to be notified when it's open for investment. That's investwithodc.com. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Kelly Skevel, guest hosting for Aaron today. And I have the absolute privilege of interviewing Mr. David Green. Hey, David. Hello, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I got a little too much sun yesterday. I, uh, I, I've learned I have to break up my day in certain times. Like when you're working mentally, it's a lot like physically working. Like you can't work out one muscle at the gym for the whole day. But if you switched from muscle group to muscle group, you could extend how long you can work out. And I feel like mentally human beings work the same way. So I'll have a period of time where I'm using deep focus to write a book and then I'll switch to sort of like a rapid fire focus in a conversation. And then I'll go to a meeting and then I'll go to emails and then I'll go to analyzing something. And I, I've noticed if I break up my day with the way that I'm using mental muscles, I can go longer. So one of the things I've started doing is when I have to have conversations, I'll go outside and I'll walk around and get some sun while I'm talking Ooh, on the phone to sort of yeah. like break up the monotony of just staring at a computer screen the whole time. And then when I'm like a little tired or hot or sweaty or like done talking, now I come into a cool office and I can focus on one thing. It's kind of refreshing, right? It's like I got off the tired muscle group and I got to the next one. Yeah. And you get steps in too, right? Like, you know, I'm big into exercise and I'm always trying to find ways to get my steps in. And I can't remember, it was a, I follow RP strength a lot. And um, Dr. Mike, who's like the head guy of it, he's like, anytime he has um, a phone conversation or a meeting on the phone, he's always out goes outside or he'll even pace back and forth in his house. It gets you the steps that you wouldn't normally get. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So for anybody that may be living under a rock and doesn't know who you are or where you're, who you're with, do you want to uh, give us a brief introduction and background? 
Yeah, I host the Bigger Pockets podcast. I was a police officer for a long time. I actually haven't talked about this yet, but two days ago, I officially retired. I've been sort of in a limbo this entire time. And uh, I went ahead and pulled the plug. So I'm now retired law enforcement. Congratulations. I kind of got started in real estate on accident. I just worked a lot of, of days at a restaurant and saved up all my money and graduated college, became a deputy sheriff, worked a lot of overtime, saved that money. I had the market crash in 2009 or so, and I had no idea how real estate worked. I just know houses are cheaper than they used to be. So I started buying them and learned how to buy real estate. I probably got like four properties in California, about seven units, and then California got too expensive. So I started buying in Arizona and I didn't know that that was risky or, or unwise to buy out of state because no one told me that. And I wasn't listening to podcasts or reading articles. I really had no mentorship. And uh, after Arizona, I went to Florida and I started doing the same thing. And I got into the Burr method and I bought a lot of properties in Florida with the Burr method. And then I moved to Arkansas and uh, Hawaii and a couple different markets. And I ended up writing the book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, to document my systems for buying out of state and the Burr book uh, for how to execute a, a Burr and got involved with Bigger Pockets, got interviewed on their show, eventually became friends with Brandon Turner and became the co-host of that show. And then Brandon sort of rode off to greener pastures and I took over as the host. And now uh, I started a real estate sales team, the David Green team with Keller Williams. And we're on pace to sell about $250 million in real estate this year. And I started a loan company called The One Brokerage, where we finance people's real estate all across the country. And that is probably the fastest growing loan company in the country right now. I think wow. I talked to my partner yesterday. We have 150 loans in submission over probably seven or eight loan officers. We have a pretty tight wow. ship. And, and I built that model after what I learned from the David Green team, where my philosophy is very similar to investing in business. I believe you should have a central focal point that's very knowledgeable, that's very wise, smart, um, does the big stuff in a transaction, like your agent should be negotiating your deal, finding the right house, taking care of problems that pop up. And then the stuff that typically wears agents out and burns them out should be handled by a showing assistant, somebody who goes to the properties, who looks up information, who would, who would the things that a, a real estate agent gets burned out trying to do, a lot of that can be handled by a junior agent. And the senior agents really focus on the big picture, important stuff for the client. So I took that same philosophy applied it to the one brokerage. And now I'm slowly like adding on ancillary businesses that will make the experience better for the client. Um, I don't think I've ever had to run my whole background like that in a five minute period. How, how did that was it super fast and super detailed. I don't think you missed anything, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's the main thing. I have a mastermind where I teach people how to invest in or how to make wealth, basically how to build wealth through saving money, making more money at work, and uh, investing it. And there's, uh, I'll give you guys a little secret. There's a book I'm going to be writing for Bigger Pockets that hasn't been announced yet called Pillars. At least I think we're going to call it that. That's basically a wealth building formula. How to simplify how to build wealth the same way I did it. I focused on making as much money as I could, saving as much money as I could, and then investing it as well as I could. And I didn't overthink it. I didn't get super complicated. I just repeated that process over and over and over. And so I'm going to be writing a book that details Ooh, how the yeah. average American can get themselves out of the rat race. I like it. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I, I actually, I think I've read all of your books. They're all great. Um, so that's, yeah, that's why I'm excited to talk to you because, um, I'm super interested in, in, in how agents go about adding ancillary businesses to their sales, right? Mm. And, and building teams, like even, even I mean, actually, 
uh, chat a little bit about your team. So how big is your team now? You know, we have people come in and then some stick around. Some either don't meet the mark of what we expect to serve our clients. Some of them just don't understand how hard the work's going to be. And so they kind of self-select out and then new people are coming in. So I would say with every iteration of new hires, we are slowly getting stronger. And that's just a point I would add. Too many people think they're going to win a fight with one punch. And that's the highlight reel that you see is the knockout punch where you don't see the 11 rounds of fighting before that, where you were softening up your opponent. Uh, business tends to be something that you take three steps forward, two steps back, and you slowly make your way forward. Uh, and it's easy to get discouraged when you thought you were going to build a team on the first try. You're not going to. So I'd say right now we have probably about 10 agents on the team, Okay. two admin, and uh, I'd say five of those agents are responsible for the majority of the production. And okay. the other five are sort of supporting them, showing the homes, looking up properties, searching the MLS, calling listing agents, looking up tax information, uh, communicating with inspectors and appraisals, all the logistical things so that those main agents, we call them sales leaders, they focus on getting clients, getting them signed up to work with us, and then putting them in contract. Okay. So they're the ones writing the offers. They're the ones doing the, the initial like interviews. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. communicating. Okay. They're the ones giving the presentation, either a buyer or a listing presentation. And they're the ones negotiating once we're in escrow to get credits for the clients, or if it's a listing to stop the buyer side from getting those same credits. And they're pretty seasoned agents. They're not, they're not newer agents, right? They're... Mm, I would say most of them have been with me for two years. So okay. they're not, I, I wish they were seasoned, but the, I guess on the flip side, working on my team for two years, you're probably going to do 60 to 120 transactions over that period of time. So I often have this come up where someone will say, I've been an agent for 10 years and I I know what I'm doing. And I'll look up their history and they've sold two houses a year for the last (laughs) 10 years. And I'm like, okay, I have agents on my team that do that in a month, right? Like our experience level is much higher. I guess what I'm saying is don't don't look at how long you've been an agent. It doesn't matter how many transactions you've seen and how much experience you've built. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yep. The experience is based on how many you've done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, okay. So you built the team that's running really well. You have, you're mostly in the Bay area. Where are you? Yeah, that's a good point. So our, I'd say the majority of our houses are sold in the Bay area, the San okay. Francisco, San Jose, and then the East Bay area, a little bit getting into the central Valley. So Manteca, Modesto, Stockton area. I grew up there. So I still have a lot of people I know from that area that we sell homes for. Then I have a division in the Sacramento area. So I guess if you add that, I probably have another five agents there. So maybe we have fifth. No, you know what? I'm, I'm totally wrong. We have 10 agents in the Bay area. We have another five in Sacramento. And then we have probably 12 <laughs> in Southern California. So it is bigger than I was just thinking. Uh, we have a contingency in Sacramento and then we have another one in Southern California. If you're not from California, I yeah. think people tend to think it's all just one state. It might as well be two. Like okay. uh, no one from Northern California has any idea what's happening in Southern California okay. and vice versa. There's this huge no man's land in between us, like Fresno and Bakersfield are the only pit stops and nothing happens there. So there's probably 12 agents in Southern California as well. And uh, we do all from Los Angeles to San Diego. Wow. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and you're on track to do 250 million. I had another question. I can't remember what it was, but Okay. So then you go, yes, I want to talk more about ancillary businesses. Like, how did you know, what got, what got you interested in 
adding ancillary businesses? And how did you know when it was a good time to do that? And, yeah, I, and let me add one more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and why did you pick, uh, why did you focus on a mortgage brokerage? Those are really good questions. The, I would say I focused on ancillary businesses, not out of a desire to make more money. That's what everyone would assume. It was really out of a desire to solve problems better. Ah. So when we got really busy, we would refer our clients to a different loan officer, a different brokerage. And when that person didn't hit the same level of service they expected from David Green, I would get the complaint. And then I would have to jump in and fix it. I'd have to tell the loan officer, I need you to call this person. This is what they said. Here's how you can smooth it out. They would do it. Then the person would complain and I'd have to get back in again. And as an agent, we're sort of held responsible for everything. If we mm -hmm. make a handyman referral, if we refer someone to a CPA and that person's bad, it inevitably will come back to us and you can lose clients by ha them having a bad experience with someone that wasn't you if you referred. So I had that issue where I was doing double the work and often solving problems for the loan officer because I knew more about real estate than they did. So I, I found myself doing their job quite a bit. And then there was never an even exchange of referrals. They were never referring people back to me like I was giving to them. And I had this sort of epiphany where I saw the way that the funnel of real estate works is the agent is sort of the, the baseline. We have to go to the public and lead generate to non-real estate professionals, just regular human beings and find someone to buy or sell a house, which mm -hmm. is very difficult. And then you get one and they're working with you. And then the loan officer leads generates to the agent. The appraiser lead generates to the agent. The title company, they're coming to us to get deals we've already found. And they're yeah. just grabbing it right, right yeah. off the bat. It was like, man, I'm working way harder. And then I feed you and I get nothing out of it yeah. because there's all these RESPA guidelines that say agents can't be compensated. And I just thought like, they're in a better position in this business, right? Like they can just go to me and get a client that's already signed up. I got to go to the dirt and, and sift through it to find a client. Right. And on top of that, they're not giving me referrals back. And on top of that, they're not doing a good job. I'm explaining everything that happens. This would be better for my client if when I found the client, I also connected them to the loan officer. I also owned the company the loan officer worked for so that I was in charge of the standard of service. And then my mind started thinking, if I could do that for a title company, if I could do that for a construction company, all these different pieces that eventually were, will make a realtor look bad if they drop the ball. If I was able to own that business, I could control the standard that it operated by and, and the probability of giving a better experience to my client would go up. So that was basically what my mind saw when I said, all right, this is what I want to build. And I knew this was going to be tricky, but I, it was kind of the vision I had. I knew the right time to go into the loan company was when my real estate team was operating semi-autonomously. This is a, you can't go build two different teams in two different industries at the same time when you're stretched that then both will fail. Yeah, that makes sense. So there was a lot of effort put into waiting for the people I hired to develop to the point they could sort of do the job without like, like when you're teaching a little kid to ride a bike, you got to hold the back of the bike right? You have to run with them to hold the back of the bike so they don't fall, which means you can only do one at a time. When <laughs> I could let go of the bike seat and I knew they could ride, even if it wasn't super fast or super great, but they could stay up. I could now go help another kid learn how to ride a bike. Right. And at a certain point, you're trying to develop 
that kid now helps their younger brother, younger sister learn how to ride a bike. And that's how you sort of develop like a bike riding school, which is what you have to have. So you can step out of the business, focus on creating leads to send to that company mm-hmm. and then go start, start it again somewhere else. So when the David Green team had agents that could have their name on the contract, not mine, and they understood how to give a buyer's presentation, a listing presentation, they worked the system long enough that they were cap- they weren't as good as me, but they were capable of it. I was able to go now start a new company. And I chose loans because uh, I can do them all over the country. So I have people that listen to me on the podcast that want to get a loan in different states. And I'm not um, prohibited from going into those areas like real estate that's local. So my volume, my potential was much higher. And at the same time, the process of a loan officer is not easy, but it is much more simple than a real estate agent. A real estate agent has to be a lawyer, a counselor, an administrator, a salesperson, a confidant, a shark. Like you got to have all these components to your personality to make it work. A loan officer has to be relatively intelligent and responsive. Right. And it's not as hard to find someone that can do that job. The, the problem is the loan officers are dependent on the real estate agents. Most of them will never go get their own business. Whereas the agents, we learn how to lead generate. Yeah. So because I had taken care of the lead generation on my end, I only had to have someone that was good at two things, not at six things to be a good loan officer. So I was able to scale that business easier and at a higher volume because we can do loans everywhere. Yeah. So for That's someone like me that has reached throughout the country, people are buying my long distance investing book. They want to know how can I go invest in Texas? Well, yes, you can. And we can get you pre-approved before you go. And then we'll connect you with a agent over there. So that's why I chose that business. And then the last piece I'll wrap up is the vision is, is to eventually have a David Green team in every major metro city that I think we can service people well and take care of the details. We handle the loan. We'll have a title company that we own. We'll have a, a list of handymen that you can use. We'll have a construction company that can give you a bid on the rehab work. And I'll have an appraisal company that can, when you're looking to buy this house, can give you an ARV. So all the things that investors worry about making mistakes with, we can reduce the risk of yeah, how often that happens. In a one-stop shop. Yes. I love yeah. it. So right, so that's so your focus right now is the mortgage company. You haven't you haven't expanded into title companies or we almost bought a title company and I I, I kind of like play with it. The reason it would have made money, the reason I didn't do it was I didn't think that my partner in the mortgage company and, and I could handle all the problems that were being thrown at us with the mortgage company mm-hmm. and keep track of the title company. So yeah, we were yeah. gonna buy an existing company, and when you do that, it's like when a new head coach takes over a team. There's often a lot of pushback from the, the, the players that were used to things being done a certain way. And now you have like stepdad moves in and you get the whole, you're not my dad syndrome, <laughs> right? Like I knew that was going to be an issue. And I realized in order to make this happen, I would have to move there. He and I would have to move there. We'd have to be very slow winning people over. We've never been in the title business before. So I don't have the skill set of recognizing what a good title officer would look like or even how to hire them. So even though we really wanted to do it, I I put the kibosh on it and said, we can't do it yet. We need to focus yeah. on b- strengthening what we have to where these, these uh, employees can teach each other how to ride the bike, and then we can go move on to the next step. And right. I'll say for someone who's interested in building ancillary businesses, my impression, and I think most people's impressions is it will happen way faster than, than it does. You think you're going to build a company and the next year, another one, and the next year, another one. 
And if you do that, the odds of your customer service, the mistakes getting made, the lawsuits that are going to come, they exponentially rise with every one of these. And what probably happens is the whole enterprise crumbles under the weight of the mistakes that get made. It, mm-hmm. it is a much slower, like, I'm kind of looking at this now, like over the course of my life, I'm going to be adding these companies and working yeah. them. it's not something I'm just going to do right off the bat. And, and real estate investors, we understand this. You look at the numbers of a property and you, if, if life worked like a spreadsheet, which is how we want it to, real estate investing would be very easy. I'm going to buy the house. This is the rent. These are the expenses. I'm going to budget for this. It's going to make me 14% a year. It never goes that way. It is constantly <laughs> things breaking, you having to figure out how to solve problems, uh, buying in the wrong area, having to get out of that property and into another one, uh, a tenant that is in a great property that ends up having something they weren't expecting and now they're not paying rent. There's always problems that pop up. And uh, I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. I guess business is the same way. Is Your job when you start a business is to be the solver of problems that nobody else wants to deal with. So the downside of this is that you end up only working every day on the stuff that was too complicated, too scary, or too burdensome for all the other people to deal with. You're sort of the lymph node of your business. Your job is to just find the junk. So that can be very taxing. Like You're not the one dropping off the keys and hugging your clients and spraying champagne. That's your agents, right? (laughs) You're, You're the one with, oh my God, we forgot to get this addendum signed. And now this side wants to sue that side, or we missed this thing in the report and the client is really angry. Like that's yeah. all day long. The, the part that you're going to be dealing with. Yeah. Putting out all the fires. Tons, yeah. You become a firefighter. That's a great way to put so, it. So, about it. so the, but the mortgage brokerage, you, that was not a business that you bought. You built that from the ground up. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So it's, that's kind of a fun, I don't think I've ever told the story before. Uh, Ricardo Correa was this 19 year old kid who uh, heard I was going to be starting a loan company on the podcast and came and said, Hey, I want to work for you. He worked at Chase Bank as like a banker. I was like, well, that's impressive that you're working as a banker at 19, but you're 19. Like, I don't know how many 50 year old people are going to be comfortable with you being the one (laughs) doing their loan. And you're just, you're 19. You think about 19 year old stuff, right? Like, He's, he's spending yeah. most of his time wanting to go hang out with his friends and vacation. And he's on TikTok all the time. So he's, I could see he was very smart, very hard worker, came from a good family, but he was 19. So I told him like, yeah, stick around, but that's not going to happen. You, you should, you should kind of like stay in my world, but I'm not hiring you as my first loan officer. Well, he just showed up to every meetup I was at every event that I did. He just was always there constantly. And there's something to say for someone who's not getting paid, who doesn't have a guarantee. And he showed me that he wanted it that bad. Yeah. And I knew the reason I needed to see that was I knew that at 19, 20 years old, he's going to make a buttload of mistakes. It's going to be a painful ride for this. Like imagine an athlete who gets drafted into the, a professional sport with a ton of athletic talent, but they're just raw and you know, they're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're making an investment. They're going to hurt the team for the first couple of years. And the idea is you want this payoff at the end. So are they going to be loyal? Are they going to leave? Are they going to stick around? And him showing up constantly gave me the reassurance that he's not going to leave when times get hard. He's not going to learn from me and go start his own company. Uh, If I stick with him, I'm going to get him around long enough that his talents are going to shine. So uh, he and I, he started with me. I hung my license with uh, like three or four different brokers Hmm. and every one of them uh, broke. 
I just brought too much leads. I needed too much support. <laughs> they could, they went from like, oh, I close two to three houses a month and I think I'm a rock star to uh, David has 30 to 40 clients that need a loan and they couldn't, can't keep up. So <laughs> I just broke several people in a row, like four of them. And then I finally uh, met my partner, Christian. And Christian, uh, I basically said, hey, man, I know you think you can handle this. Everybody does. I'm used to that. It's not going to be what you think, man. Like, this is going to be really hard. I need someone that can train Ricardo. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. I said to Ricardo, tell him we'll pay him 500 bucks a file and we'll see how he does, which is not very much money compared to what a loan officer is going to be making. And Christian just was like, okay. He jumped in. He got paid very little. And he was very impressive with the way that he taught Ricardo, the way he solved problems, the way he didn't get tired, he didn't break. And then eventually I said, okay, I'm going to look at Christian as being a loan officer on the team. And then I realized I don't want to be the guy holding the broker's license for the company. I'm too big of a target. If something goes wrong and somebody wants to sue me, I'm very a big target to go sue. The whole company won't operate if I'm the broker. So I had to make the decision that I need someone to be the broker. Christian is the best best person I've seen at this. He's incredibly smart. He has a, a chemical engineering degree from UC Berkeley. He was already running an insurance company. He was a, a, a loan officer and real estate agent at the same time. So he was like me where he wow. kind of understood a lot of different components. And I chose to partner with him in the one brokerage and he got his broker's license and we, we started running it through there. And then it just became slowly adding people in. Some of them worked out. Some of them didn't. Getting them some experience, feeding them leads, Christian training them. And I'd say we're just now hitting this like, okay, stage one is over. We have competent people. They can close loans. They don't need to be overseen. They're doing a high production of stuff. So some of these guys that I've hired have only been on the, in the business for 18 months and they're doing 30 loans a month. 40 loans a month. Ricardo's at about 65 loans right now. And he's like maybe 22 or so. So, uh, you know, we've had to run in and teach them. This is how you hire processors, administrators, support pieces. So they're not just learning how to be loan officers. Now they're learning how to be business people, the same as the real estate agents do. And I think that agent grew, or sorry, that business grew faster than the real estate agent business did because I had already done it with the David Green team. I'm now taking that information into the one brokerage. And the next step we'll have is we'll have an insurance company at some point, or we'll have a title company. And my assumption will be with every one of these new sort of add-ons, the process will go smoother. We will find success faster. But when you're doing it, it's the same thing you're doing over and over and over. These patterns just, just continue to emerge. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. And I know, I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors, but this is one that I'm actually super, super excited with. You know, so many of the realtors that we interview on the show, they talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important. And I'm really, really excited about our new sponsor. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. You know, on an interview last week with Agent Mark McGuire, I asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was. And he said it was Follow Up Boss. And then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why Follow Up Boss was the best CRM he uses. So there's a lot of superstars out out there that use Follow Up Boss. Some of the stats they gave me, Robert Slack, 1.5 billion team in Florida, number one in the US. He uses Follow Up Boss to get a 400% 
ROI on its massive paid lead spend. Deborah Beagle, co-owner of the Ashton Group in Nashville, uses follow-up boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days. That's a big guarantee for new agents. Barry Jenkins of the, your friends in real estate uses follow-up boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now, I've, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing, and what do, what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com forward slash rockstars. So again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I also like that how you were saying, so the systems that you learn or put in place from things that you learned from your team you were able to take all of that and you just replicated yeah. it into the one brokerage yeah that's exactly that right again with the insurance company so after doing this a few times i i realized there's a pattern to what's happening and i talk about this in the book that just came out yesterday through bigger pockets it's called skill it's the sequel to my first book sold that is for real estate agents particularly because i thought man when i became an agent there was no good books to read. There was hardly anything out there other than the millionaire real estate agent that would give you. That's the only good one. And it's so high level. It's like a map of how real estate works. It doesn't give you the nitty gritty details. What what do you say when a client says this? Or what should I do in a listing presentation? How do I present a CMA so I get the listing? None of that's going to be in the millionaire real estate agent. And so I'm now writing this series for Bigger Pockets, and I talk about this concept of learn, leverage, lead. And I present it like there are three dimensions to how you grow into a business owner. If somebody sells houses and they want to grow a team, they want to grow a business, they want to turn into a brokerage, whatever it would be. Um, If you want to understand what I mean by dimension, just think about playing Super Mario Brothers. When Mario runs from the left side of the screen to the right, that is one dimension, okay? I I call that first dimension is learn. When you become an agent, you're trying to learn as much as you can and be as good as you can at your job. So that's where most people, they never get out of that first dimension. The further you get to the right-hand side, the more money you make, the better you get at the job, the, the more money you're going to make. So sold in general was all about how do I teach you how to make money? How do you become a good real estate agent? Well, there's a handful of people that will become a top producer. They will become good at selling houses. And then they hit a a wall. They've gotten to the far side of that dimension as they can possibly get. In my experience, it's typically around 40 homes a year. You're just not going to sell more than that. You are so busy. You're probably working with 150 clients to sell 40. To add another 30 leads onto there isn't going to turn into more production. It's just you're going to have lead bleed. You're not going to keep up. The only way to bust through that first dimension is to focus on you can also make Mario jump. That's going up. That's the second dimension in that game. Well, that is leverage. If you want to get past, I sell a lot of homes to I sell 100, 200 homes a year, you, it's a completely new skill set you have to learn. The skills of being able to leverage off what you're doing as an agent are completely different than the skills of learning 
how to do it. And this is why most people don't take the jump because you got to start all over. You know nothing. You're going to hire admin. They're going to screw it up. You're going to get showing assistance. They're going to screw it up. People are going to take advantage of you. You're going to be too nice. You're going to be too mean. It's just like when you started selling homes, you're going to mess it up with your clients. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to read them the wrong way. You're going to lose. They're going to lose confidence in you because you're going to make mistakes. We went through all of this learning process to get good. Now you got to do it again. Yeah. And most people just the ego hit they're going to take the effort they're going to put into this, the money they're going to lose because maybe they go from selling 40 houses a year to 30 or 35 because they make more mistakes as their people they're hiring. And you're not just focusing on putting people in contract. You're now half doing that and half teaching somebody. Right. And, and just like when you were new, you picked the wrong clients. We all know what it's like to have that butthole that you're trying to put in a contract and they just don't. <laughs> they're so unreasonable. They, they won't work with you. They're demanding and you just keep catering to them before you finally learn. You got to move on. Yep. You're going to do that with employees. Well, if the better you get at leverage, the higher you move on that up axis and the more you are with leading, the, the further right you are on the learn axis, Now you get into where you can do really good money. These are the agents that you see that are selling a ton of houses and they're focused on listings and their buyers are the one, the buyer's agents are handling the buyers and they're selling 80, 90, 100 houses a year, making really good money. Then you have the third dimension, which would be like forward and backwards. And that doesn't exist in the Mario Brothers game because it's only two dimensional. But that third dimension is leadership. A completely new skill set that you are that you're not going to know anything about, and you're going to mess up a ton. And this is about creating systems that make it easier for people that are not as driven as you to succeed. Mm-hmm. This is about how you um, inspire other people to do a better job as opposed to just doing it yourself. This is about how you teach your big, your oldest child how to help the younger children ride their bikes because you can't be the one to do it. And it's very difficult to sort of go hands off and, and focus on if I teach you how to do something, it's going to turn into revenue because it often doesn't. We're used to, if I go get that listing agreement signed, I know I just got revenue. Yeah. There's, this, there's this dopamine connection between my specific action and the result I'm going to get that drives us. Well, when you step into the third dimension, there's a space between the action you take and the dopamine hit you get. It's like a level of faith that you have to have that if I do yeah. the right things, it's going to turn. And that's so hard when you're the person who's used to, I yeah. lead generate, I put you in contract. It feels good. I know I did the right thing because it felt right. Now you're like flying blind. You can't look at your instrument panel. You just have to trust that you're going in the right direction. And it is so hard to get to that point, but it's that third dimension of leadership. And the only reason I'm even describing this is if an agent wants to build a team, build a business. That is the road that you're, that you're going to have to take. That's what you're signing up for. So don't do it if you're not willing to go through that process. But if you know that's what you want, you eventually want to be hands-off. You want to have some like a form of passive income coming. You want to scale and sell houses in different markets. This is 100% the pathway of how you get there. Learn, leverage, and lead. That's, that's it. Yeah, yep. that's powerful. Yeah, uh, I feel like I'm, you know, I think we're, we all... It's not, think about building a team if you don't have a team yet. And you think about all of the stuff that goes into it. And um, one of the things that I've heard consistently since I became an agent is that you, every successful agent I've talked to has been like, I should have put systems in place sooner so that I could scale and grow faster. Or when it yeah. hit, when it finally did, I should have had those systems in place. And um, I didn't understand that totally, but now I, now I get it. Do you feel like, 
do you feel like you experienced that too? Like, did you have to go back and, and put systems in place after you grew really fast or were you, or did you have the foresight to be like, no, I'm going to put the systems in place and then grow? No, I didn't. I heard people saying I should do it. I just, to be honest, I didn't understand what that meant. And I don't want to make myself sound stupid by saying, I don't understand what a system is. I couldn't, I didn't have a vision in my head of what it looked like to have a system. So I didn't take action on it. I just didn't have clarity. So what you're making me go back to the the old days. And I, I still remember driving to work as a cop and I've got like two upcoming listings and I've got three buyers I'm working with and maybe two people in contract. So decent amount of production happening and thinking like, Oh, like for one, two, three main street, I don't think I ordered the sign in the yard. What is the photographer coming? And I'd be in the car trying to coordinate stuff. It was horribly unorganized. And I remember thinking this just doesn't feel right. Like I shouldn't have to be trying to rely on my memory to kick in and tell me you need to order a sign. But I just kept doing that because that's what people do. It is easier to live your life reacting. This mm-hmm. is how the majority of agents are. Yes, they wait for their client. So many Everyone is, like, right? You yeah. wait for the person to text you. Hey, what about this house? And like, boom, now I have something to do. They get on the keyboard. <laughs> they type it up. They get all the information. They feel productive. They send it off the bat. And then they wait. Well, let's see what the client says. And if the client doesn't say anything, they get discouraged. Oh, they, they never do what I need them to do. They don't know what they want. And if the client does say something, the client has to tell the agent, I want you to go blah, blah, blah. And if the client's direct, the agent knows what to do, but most clients are waiting for the agent to be the one. Mm, yep. That's, this is like the, the catch 22 of being an agent. When I made my first hire, they started asking me questions like, what do I do? And that was when it became very clear. I don't have a system. Mm. So what I did was I just made a Google doc and I wrote, here's all the things that we have to do when you have a listing coming. And then I noticed all right. Well, some of these things happen when I, when I'm getting ready for my listing presentation, run comps, put a CMA together, uh, put them in a, some kind of a folder that looks professional. Um, I'm going to need a presentation. So I had to go make a listing presentation, right? Make sure that the iPad I'm going to give the listing presentation on is charged. That all became something that I was like, okay, this is the first stage to get the listing. Yeah. Once I've got the thing signed, now all this other stuff sort of fills in like, put it in the MLS, schedule the pictures, ask the client all the questions about the property. This is all like before going live. Then once it's in the MLS, there's a point where it goes live. And I'm like, now that all the stuff in my list here fits in there. So I sort of created categories, like before I get the listing agreement, after it's signed, once we go live, and then once it goes in contract, here's all the stuff we, we do then. And most of that was checking in on the buyer's agent. So I ended up with this pretty significant document that spelled out all the stuff that does to make a listing. And then we ended up using a CRM called Brivity. And Brivity has uh, what we call auto plans, where you can program it to remind you, hey, this is all the stuff that needs to be done. And when you click a box that says, I did it, it triggers Brivity to now say, mm-hmm. here's yeah. what's next, right? Yeah, yeah. So I took my list and I turned it into an auto plan. So now my assistant would come in and Brivity would say, here's what you're doing today for each house. Uh, That was a system. That was what I couldn't understand that I was trying to build. Right. And so once I had that, I then said, I got it. Now I can make one of these for buyers. And it was like 17 times as long than a listing. (laughs) Buyers take so much more work, but we created that same, here's all the stuff we do. And here's the order we do it. 
And then I started to recognize, all right, there's patterns in working with the client. I created what's called the sales funnel and that's in sold, but I dig into it more in skill. The sales funnel is this understanding of classifying the people you're working with. So the first category is people, everybody that exists. The next category is a lead. That's a people who has, who wants to buy or sell a house and knows who I am. Then I had a client. That's a lead that signed a buyer representation agreement or a listing agreement. And then I had an escrow. That's a client who has a signed residential purchase agreement from both parties. And then I had a closing. That's when title would transfer from the seller to the buyer and the funds would transfer from the buyer to the seller. And I looked at that and said, all right, I have to teach my agents how to move you from a people into an escrow or to a closing. And so I came up with tools. Here's the tool that you use to turn peoples into leads. And here's the tool you use to turn leads into clients. Mm-hmm. That was my system for primarily how we work with buyers is if I simplified it. Like you've got all these people you put in your database. The tool is lead generation. These are the ways we lead generate to turn them into leads. Now you've got a lead. Your tool is the presentation. You have to set an in-person appointment, get them in front of you and give this presentation I've already developed. And here's how you get good at it. And I would teach the agents to focus on these tools, that became the system. So it didn't start off with me saying, I need to systemize this. What it started (laughs) off with was hiring someone and and then them saying to me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Having all these little baby agents that are like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And that forced me to come up with this process that I can simplify. Here's the first step. Here's the second, not throw this big mess at them and say, figure out how to navigate it. Because when you do that, you become reactive to your client. And the goal is to become proactive. We want to be telling the client, here's what comes next. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what the plan is. And so that information ultimately got compiled and put into these these books that I've written for Bigger Pockets. So interesting. And yeah, so the, I like that. And oh, that's what it is. So I often hear like busy in our, in our market, the busier agents will be like, yeah, like I'm so busy. I want to build a team or I need to put a better infrastructure in place. I need to have more admin. I need, I need the structure, even manage what I'm doing, but I don't even have the time to put into building that. They don't have the time to put the systems together or train the people. So where did you find, cause you must've been the same way. Like, where did Mm -hmm. you find you just were doing like, cause we are so reactive, like so many agents when you get, so when you grow fast and you're busy, so how did you find that time? The key was I only got the time when I moved out of being reactive into proactive. Mm. So one of the things that agents suffer from is really bad anxiety. And if you, if you dive into where that anxiety comes from, it's the lack of control you have over your own future. You yeah. don't know where your next lead's going to come from. You don't know if that lead is even working with you or if they're cheating on you with another agent. You don't know if they're actually going to write an offer that's going to be competitive enough. And then when you're in contract, you don't know what's going to go wrong. There's all this I don't knows that create fear and anxiety is just the emotion that you experience when you are uncertain of what's going to get thrown at you. Mm -hmm. And the reactionary approach is like throwing gasoline on the fire of that anxiety. If you let your client say, what about this? What about that? What are we doing here? It's comforting that you don't have to take leadership, but it's horrible in the sense that you never know the next phone call you're going to have and what it's going to be about and your phone rings and you get that pit in your stomach like oh god what could this what could this be or <laughs> i don't know what's going on with this file what if they ask this question so the first thing i had to do uh, let me backtrack a second there you're also afraid that the client isn't going to be a good investment of your time because you don't know you just keep right. working with everyone and hoping that it works out 
Well, I found that when I stepped into a proactive role, when I created a system of this is stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, here's where we're going. And I told them this up front. If they were never that serious in the first place and they saw what was going to happen, it revealed itself right off the bat. So if you ended up working with me, I already had a pretty good feel that you were motivated and you wanted to buy a house. Okay. And you had a good feel that you knew what you were signing up for because in the buyer's presentation, I told you everything. I went over the contract. I went over a report, an inspection report. I went over an appraisal. I talked about earnest money. I went over the legal requirements. I showed you the portal. We're going to look at houses. I pulled up a list of all the homes that were for sale. And I showed you that the houses you like are going off the market in six days. So you're going to have to move this fast. And they felt more comfortable. I felt more comfortable. And then I I created that sales funnel where I knew my job is moving from this to this, to this, to this. And so if you resisted, if you didn't want to move down the funnel, I found that out early. It wasn't like working with you five months before it became clear. You didn't even know if you wanted to buy a house in this state. You were looking at four other states also, or whatever the case was. So getting rid of people that were never going to close and having a higher percentage of people I worked with closing enabled me to make the same money, but with way less time spent. Yeah, And that was the key to getting time back to going and training new people and having them help. And that's why I say it is so tempting to be the react- reactionary phase. On my team, we call it being the waiter. Waiters love to serve and they just say, what do you want? You want ketchup? Let me go get it. Oh, you want a soda? Let me go get it. You want, you want some wine? Okay, I'll go bring it to you. They're not really thinking about how to sell somebody on something, but nobody want people that are buying houses don't know what they want. That's why they wanted you. They wanted you to help them figure out what would their house sell for, how to sell it for more, or what house they should be looking at that would work for them. And when we're in reactionary mode, it gives them a sense of fear. They're thinking like, I don't know if I want to move forward with this because I don't know how it's going to end up. The more proactive the agent is, less reactionary, the more decisive, the more in control, the more comfortable the client feels moving forward. And the the problem is if you're not intentional about being proactive, you will slip into reacting, Mm, especially when you get busy. I think that's true in life too, right? That's with everything. Relationships, everything. Yes. That's a great example. Like life works this way, right? You, we want to wait until so what, what most, this is what it comes down to is most of us make decisions to get out of pain. Mm-hmm. Almost everything we do in a day is just, I'm hungry. I have to get out of hunger. I'm going to go eat. Well, if you haven't planned what you're going to eat, you're going to eat the first thing that you find yeah. that's easy and it's going to be bad. You're reacting, right? Yep. Uh, you wait until your spouse or your partner is completely sick of everything. And like, they're really turned off and shut down. And then you're like, oh, I should pay attention to my relationship. Yep. It's very hard to get out of that phase, right? Like this is just like the great deception that comes over people is that, that you can live life reactionary, but the successful people are disciplined and they're proactive. They put a time in their calendar when they're going to go work out. Like that's one of the, the hacks that anybody can use is literally putting things in a calendar that says at this time I'm doing this thing. So you're not thinking about it anymore. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Lots of great stuff today. You so tell us a little bit more about the book that you have. It came out yesterday. Yeah, it just launched. So I think this is probably, I think it's better than even the first book I wrote and sold did really well. It's a bestseller. It's selling quite a bit. I read they that can one. get it at, uh, oh, thank you. What did you think about it? I loved it. I actually implemented a lot of the uh, uh, funnel stuff that you gave. I have uh-huh. I actually have a whiteboard right over here that 
I set up just like how you said to do it. So I really liked the book. I got a lot of value out of it. I'm glad to hear that. Like the idea with that funnel is when somebody pops up in your life and they're like, Hey, I have a question for you. You're trying to classify where do they fit on this funnel? Are you just a person who wants to ask me about the market? Cause you're interested, but you're working with another agent. Are you asked this because you have a house you want to sell? Is there an offer that you want to write already? And you're just trying to feel out if I'm the right person to use, to write it. Like I want to ask you questions when you call to figure out where I classify you. Yeah. And once you're classified, now I know what's the tool that I need to use. It's very simple. Oh, you actually want to write an offer. I need to get you to sign a buyer representation agreement and I need to get an offer written off. We need to go see the house or, oh, you are, you don't even have a job. You need to go in my database and I need to lead generate to you over time. I don't need to spend three hours with you on the phone right now. Yeah. So this book skill is all about really mastering how you use those tools. So specifically there's, you want to get this listing. This is exactly step-by-step what I do to get a listing, right? This is how I prep for it. This is how I run my, my CMA. This is, I call these agents that have pending uh, escrows or I have active listings that are my competition. And I ask them, how many showings are you getting? What kind of interest are you at? Do you think you listed too high? Where, where do you think you're going to get? And I take notes that I bring with me to the listing appointment. Wow. Okay. So in addition to this presentation, then I pull up, here's every house we're competing with. Here's all the houses in escrow. And here's where they're at. Like I can tell them the houses in escrow, what the, what price they went in escrow for, if it was more, if it was less. And it's down to the detail of when I walk in your house, when you answer the door, what I'm wearing, and then where I go set my equipment, because I want to control where we have the conversation, right? Wow. I, it, a lot okay. of the times I've been in listing presentations where, I mean, I've had stories where a guy had two like German shepherd dogs that were completely crazy and were they weren't like attacking me, but they were wanting to be played with and were jumping on me the entire time while I'm wearing this like really nice suit and he did nothing to stop it. So I ended up having both hands on the collars of both dogs, <laughs> holding their necks on the ground by the collar. And they're like loving it. They think it's a game. And I'm trying to talk to him and I'm trying to swipe on my iPad while both hands are full, right? Like I absolutely should have picked a better place to have that conversation than where the dogs were. Sometimes you have a person who's got kids that are all over the place. And you mm-hmm. want to be able to have a way that you can like, Hey, I got a great idea. Why don't we put the SpongeBob on TV and we'll let the kids watch it. And we will go over here in this room so that they can actually focus on what I'm going to say. Uh, and then it, this is the order of how I deliver the information. And then this is how I make sure I sign the list agreement, like things that you would typically need a mentor to teach you that yeah. most of us don't get. Wow. I'm spelling out in this book. So this is a lot more about the details of yeah. when you give a presentation, here's how you do it. Uh, when you post on social media, this is what your post should look like. And this is what you're trying to accomplish. Wow. I love it. I think, I think though, like we're finding out that those are the books that are that people are, are looking for and yearning for, right? The ones with a lot of detail, like you said, right down to like what you're wearing, where you're standing. I love it. That's exciting. So that's yeah. The and there's point. a lot of objection handling too. Here's common things they're going to say to you. And here's the way you answer. And I actually provide like psychological tools that will help you understand what you're trying to accomplish. So there's a lot of concepts in there. Like uh, one of them would be triangle theory. And that's this idea that if you are, if, if I'm trying to sell your house and you want to get 700,000 for it, and I know it's only going to sell for 600,000, I don't want to be in conflict with you arguing and saying, no, it's only worth 600,000. Because even if I win and you list for 600, I've hurt our relationship and you're going to be trying to get me back for the rest of the escrow. Mm. So what we do on my team is we create a third party, which makes a triangle. 
I align myself with you and it's the both of us against that third party. So in this example, the third party would be the market. The CMA is the bad guy. The CMA mm-hmm. is saying, yeah. hey, it, it only shows 600. What, what do you want to do? How do we solve this problem together? Right oh, now, okay. now you're not mad at me. And I will use this constantly when I'm negotiating with other agents, right? Their client wants 700. My client only wants to pay 625. And I'm trying to negotiate this deal. I don't want to go to that other agent and say things like, yeah, you're an idiot. You listed way too high. Your house isn't even that good looking anyways. You have to like, there's a lot of agents that do that. <laughs> I want to go to that agent and say, hey man, like my guy just, I, I really think your house is worth every bit of 700,000. I think you did a great job marketing it. I'm sure your seller feels really good with what you did. Unfortunately, he's only pre-approved for 625 and he can't go any higher. What can we do to try to get this thing under contract so that your client knows you did a good job and my client just gets this house and I can be done with him? right? I'm presenting it like I'm on the same side as the agent and my client is the problem and we're going to work together to, to solve that. Uh, it's much more effective than making yourself the enemy of the person you're talking to. So there's a lot of those concepts that most agents don't understand when they're trying to negotiate that will help. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to go back, pick this up today. <laughs> yeah. You can go to biggerpox.com slash skill. That's the name of the book. You can okay. Skill. And then one last thing. So you are, you're doing your first syndication too. Is that Well, so that's a good question. A, a syndication, if someone hasn't heard of that is when somebody raises money and they own a part of a property. So you, you give money to someone like me, I use your money to buy a property and you own a part of it. So I am doing that occasionally. I, I don't do it a lot because when you're investing in a syndication, you're also taking risk. The property might not work out. Something could go wrong. And when you're investing money, you're taking that risk. And I think most people that invest with me, they're looking to avoid the risk. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, David's good. So I can't really operate like a standard syndicator that is just, hey, you made an investment. You lost out. That's all there is to it. I almost have to guarantee it's going to work out. So the majority of the lending I do is not based on giving equity in a property. It's just based on paying straight debt. I just pay a high interest rate to people to borrow their money way higher than they would get in a bank. And they don't have to worry about if the deal doesn't work out because it's, it's guaranteed by me personally. Okay. Then there are times where my partner and I find an apartment complex and we do a standard syndication raise. So I kind of do both. Like I do private lending and then I also do syndications. The syndication model is tricky because it puts pressure on you as the person trying to find them to buy a deal that isn't good right? Like someone comes to me and says, Hey, I got $500,000. I need to put it somewhere. And if I'm just syndicating, I'm like, Oh, well, that deal didn't look great, but you got to have somewhere to put your money. You know, there's pressure on us to, to not get the best deal to try to have something for our investors to invest in. That's why I like the straight debt model, because yeah. there's always an opportunity. I can just pay you the money. I'll go invest it in a house that I'm going to buy myself. And you're not just getting it secured by that house, but all the money I make from all the businesses, all the book sales, everything else that I'm saving would go towards paying that person back. Right. Not, not an individual that. property where there's more risk. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So people can go to investwithdavidgreen.com if they want to uh, register there. It's only accredited investors. Unfortunately, the SEC won't let us work with anyone that's not accredited. But um, for people that are like, hey, I don't want to put the time into buying real estate myself, or I don't want to lose money. I'm, I'm concerned about the risk. That's a really good option. Awesome. Well, it looks like we're almost out of time. Thank you so much for coming on Real Estate Rockstars and allowing me to interview you. This has been fun. I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to picking up the book. 
Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk about real estate for the entire time. It's, I uh, love it. <laughs> I'm a bit of a real estate nerd. So thank you, Kelly. <laughs> thanks, David. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.